Welcome to a teaser episode of this week's Datology Coach podcast. To listen to the full episode, subscribe to our Substack at datologycoach.substack.com. Look for a link in the episode description to subscribe at 20% off. Welcome to your Wednesday dating nugget of wisdom. Thank you for your patience, you guys. Once again, Iggy uh, proved that he hates me and he jumped up on the window and he got the the Verizon cable, the little thing that connects connects to the, the box outside. This is the third time in a year I've had to have that replaced because he hates me. All right. First thing we're going to get to is a listener letter. I was talking to a man for nearly two weeks and things seem to be going fine. He's in a PhD and internship this summer, so he's really busy. We live in different cities, so we were trying to plan a date to see one another. Anyway, I'm noticing red flags now that I look back. The first day we talked, he started talking a lot about the future and how I'm looks and brain-wise future wife material. He came on strong. The thing is, most days he was moody and only talked about how stressed he was with work. I told him I had a bad day once and he just clicked the thumbs down icon. Also to note, he has also seemed to have some anger issues because one day on the phone, I heard him yell at his front desk concierge, fuck you, just because he asked to see his ID twice. I was still into him because he hooked me from the start. But every day I felt drained from putting so much energy into this person and trying to be perfect. I made sure he was fine while he was stressed out and consistently sent him positive affirmations or recommendations on how to solve certain problems. Midweek, he told me he was sick and his text started getting drier out of nowhere. This last Thursday, we FaceTime and he said, let's make a definitive plan to meet. Let's talk about it more in depth tomorrow. He fell asleep on me multiple times during calls. He texted me after the call and wished me a good night and called me baby. The next morning, he asked if I had an Instagram and I said, I don't, but I have Facebook. Then I heard nothing from him until I reached out that evening to ask about our plans. And he called me really quick and said, he's too tired to talk and that we can talk tomorrow. Then the next day, nothing. I reached out and he was really angry and said he's sick and called me immature and childish just for messaging him on a different platform versus text. He told me, if you do that again, there won't be a call later. I complied and still he didn't reach out later. No text the next day either. I haven't confronted him, but I'm curious as to what could have transpired and why he turned into a complete jerk. It's also worth noting that he sent me a lot of sexually objectifying texts over our span of talking and even asked if I touched myself thinking of him. He also mentioned that he'd tell me his preferred nickname after I become his girlfriend. I'm very distraught and exhausted over his mixed signals. And while I know he's not a good guy, I can't help but feel like I've fallen short somewhere. Uh, So you are right. He is not a good guy. Uh, He didn't turn into a complete jerk. He was always a complete jerk. And this will, I will say again, do not engage in these talking phases, in this, this extended messaging phase with anybody because it's too much of a time investment. And really do not give men this kind of investment or effort or insight or really anything until they've shown you that they are will that they will reciprocate. This is a guy who never planned on meeting you, who was in it for the attention, probably looking for some phone sex or some or like exchanging nudes or something. This isn't anything you did. And um, now I'm I'm thinking if I remember this correctly, if I'm remembering if you're the correct person, uh, there's some there's some neurodivergence here. And that maybe that makes it a little bit difficult to to understand the shift 
or what you're perceiving as a shift in his behavior. He started out on the wrong foot, like from the get. And if he didn't, he didn't turn into this bad guy. He always was. And I think maybe it's because you're not picking up on the more subtle uh, signs that he sucks. Uh, and, but you, you definitely seem to be picking up on how he told the concierge to, to go fuck himself and how he told you there wouldn't be a call if you did that again. He's not your f- father. And really, like, your father shouldn't even talk to you like that. So you didn't fall short. This guy just sucks. Um, and he likes to make women feel bad and probably people feel bad considering he screams at, um, service workers and, and frontline workers, which, uh, anybody who, who does that, especially after the last three years, they can definitely go, go fuck themselves because that just shows an absolute lack of respect and regard. Um, this isn't you, you didn't do anything wrong here. And you know, he also mentioned that he'd tell me his preferred nickname after I became his girlfriend. Oh, oh, so that's what you're going to get when you become his girlfriend, a, a nickname. And he expects you to be like, oh, all giddy over that. Yeah, this guy doesn't bring anything to the table. He doesn't know how to manage his emotions. He doesn't follow through. Um, he turns the table. It sounds like he's uh, emotionally dysregulated. Yeah, this is all him, babe. This is not you. You did not do anything to create this or cause this behavior. This is all him. Now, here's a post from Dating Over 40 on Reddit. Oh, boy. Mutual crush on my therapist? Should I investigate this? I've been seeing this therapist for almost three years. We started chatting many years ago when he helped me with some childhood trauma. We talk more like old friends. We have a similar sense of humor. I count the days when we get to talk to him again, when I get to talk to him again. Last I knew, he was married, but he never talks about her in all these years. He gives me compliments, says he looks forward to our sessions. He even reminds me of an ex who I loved, even though me and that guy weren't right for each other. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I don't know. If I start talking about any sort of attraction, things could get awkward, but he's my type for sure. I don't care if he's not into me like that, but I definitely don't want to lose my therapist. Should I see if there's anything there? So the obvious answer, right, is no, right? Because this is that's a very sacred uh, boundary between a therapist and a, and, a, and a patient that should never be broken. Uh, and it doesn't sound like he's done anything inappropriate uh, yet. That's not really what I want to talk about. I want to talk about limerence because that's what this sounds like. When she said that uh, she discussed her childhood trauma with him. Um, You know, this sounds like a case of somebody fixating on somebody who is unavailable uh, because they like having that. They like have something, something to look forward. They like having something to look forward to. They like the perceived attention and they don't want to ruin it and they want to hold on to it. Uh, and it's a coping mechanism and it's not the healthiest of coping mechanisms. And I say that because I, I've done it, you know, as an avoidant, as someone with childhood trauma, it was easier for me to fixate on somebody that was very likely not interested or unavailable 
and never clarify, never clarify if they were interested, never clarify if they were available because I preferred to stay in the, in the fantasy because the fantasy, the fantasy was, was company enough, I guess. I guess that's the only way to put it, you know, and it was safe. It, It meant I never really had to put myself up there. I never really had to be emotionally available. And I could still have something to look forward to and, you know, enjoy the crush and enjoy the, the rush of feeling I would get when he would talk to me. And that filled a need. You know, I said this last week about the woman who was involved with the guy for five years and never got clarification until five years later. You know, people like to say, well, oh God, well, why are you doing this? And why didn't you stay? And why didn't you? Why, 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 why? Because it worked because it worked at the time, because it was what you needed. And it felt safe. Uh, you know, if this guy's a therapist, so that's, it's like, a, a that's just such a no-no, right? We all know that. And she, and, and the letter writer knows this as well. It's very clear she knows this. And she's probably interpreting his behavior, like through the through her filters through this sort of limerence filter where she, to to keep her in staying in the fantasy and engaged and invested in the fantasy um but this is like i said it's just something that we do to maybe feel less alone to maybe to have somebody to to feel like we have somebody and i think that I think that's a driving factor in in why we stay in these situations, whether it's a bad relationship or whether it's a crush or unrequited, whatever. We want to feel like we're part of the, like we're, you know, we're in the game, right? We want to feel like we have somebody to talk about. We have somebody to think about. We have something to look forward to. And there's nothing wrong with that. But as I've said before, it's only when, these behaviors impede our ability to form healthy, um, fulfilling, substantive connections with other people. That's when these behaviors become maladaptive or, or unhealthy. And I think a lot of people don't really, that line from that song that I love, you, you'll never, you, you never could get it until you were fed it, until you reach that point where you say, I'm tired of this, you know? And, and that's the thing. You can never just say to somebody, why do you do this? Why are you staying? And why don't you, why don't you? Because, and people just, they're not going to just get it because you tell them to get it. Right. And I used to think that when I would write my column years ago, I really just thought here, I'm just going to tell you what to do. And if you don't do it, well then, and then if they didn't take my advice, like my ego would be bruised. And now I realize that they're going to get it when they get it and maybe they will and maybe they won't. Um, But if you can say it in a way that stays with them, that gives them something to think about, they're more likely to get it. So I think in this case, I think this person is just, she's hanging onto a fantasy probably because she's lonely and she's choosing somebody where she knows he can't go anywhere. And she might not know that consciously, but I think she knows it subconsciously and, and it's safe. And I think we all do it and we do it to curb the loneliness and the, and the feelings of uh, not being lovable and, and not, you know, being like everybody else. And why can't I have somebody, 
we do it for a lot of reasons. Um, and they're personal to each one, to, to everybody. And it, they're not bad and they don't make you a bad person. Uh, it just means you've developed a coping mechanism that might be interfering with having a real relationship. And when you're ready, if you're ready, uh, you should explore it. So we all, I think a lot of us do this, especially those of us, those of us with a history of trauma. So don't beat yourself up. It's, it's normal to want, not want to feel lonely. It's normal to want something to look forward to. Um, I don't really know what else to say there other than be kind to yourself and you'll get there when you get there. So the next post from Dating Over 40 is from a man. And the headline is, feeling really bad about myself for being chronically single, especially after trying dating apps again. So a quick backstory. I've had a lot of great love in my life. In my 20s, I was in two really great longish, longish-term relationships, both of which we talked about marriage, and we're both incredibly happy for a while. She decided to move back across the country to finish her master's, and I felt the need to stay on the West Coast to, to continue making music with the band I play in, and the long-distance relationship just didn't work. It seemed I was always stumbling on love, and it didn't feel like too much of an effort. It felt like I was always stumbling oh, onto love, and it didn't feel like too much of an effort. There was plenty of heartbreak and challenges, of course, but it always felt hopeful. And then my last real relationship ended when I was about 31. I'm now 40. I haven't been in a relationship since, save for a one-month fling when I was 34. And I really, truly value my independence. I have no interest in forcing myself into a relationship that isn't healthy or that I'm not excited about. I play music and I'm an aspiring graphic designer, so I have plenty of things I want to accomplish and I work on and work on in my life. I'm definitely an introvert, although I don't love categorizing personalities so strictly. So I don't really have a massive busy social life. And all of that is okay, but I have this deep nagging feeling that something is really wrong with me or that I'm simply unworthy of being loved. For the record, I'm in a very good shape. I eat well, exercise, enjoy maintaining a fashionable appearance, and I fancy myself pretty decent looking. Although sometimes I wonder if I'm actually just hideous and not aware of it. However, I certainly don't make a lot of money. I enjoy being a minimalist and steering my life towards creative pursuits over traditional stability. Recently, I tried a dating app again, and it just feels deeply, deeply awful. I live in a smaller city in Canada of about 100,000. I do very badly on dating apps. I've had some times in the past where I've had lots of matches, but they all go nowhere. And being single now for basically a decade, I feel like something is clearly broken. I guess I'm just wondering if anyone has found themselves in any kind of similar position and maybe looking for some perspective on a better way to view these things. When I'm not on dating apps, I often feel quite grateful for the little life I'm living and the pursuits I'm working on. But then I hit this mo these moments of feeling unlovable and like everything else out there is, like everyone out there is finding love or at least connection far more easily. Anyway, maybe it was a rough day and maybe doing the second half for the most part single is a pretty good way to go. Maybe after this stint with the dating app, um, I'll feel okay keeping it deleted for life. Plus, I have an amazing dog who seems to like me a lot. Oh. Mm -hmm. I think there are so many reasons why we date and try to find a relationship. And I, and I think very few of them actually revolve around companionship and intimacy and vulnerability. And I, I think a lot of them revolve around proving to other people and ourselves that we are capable of being loved. That 
we are not this hideous monster inside that there is nothing wrong with us that that we're not broken i do i think we spend so much of our life trying to prove to everybody and to ourselves that we're not broken and the thing is i think it's okay to be broken a little bit or a lot i i don't We're just so hard on ourselves when we don't meet a certain standard. And so we try to fit the, the square peg into the round hole. And that's why I think a lot of people are dating. And I think that is probably the most detrimental uh, reason. And I, and I think a lot of it, that's what's causing so much of this, so much of this angst, you know, um, but to go back to the broken part, I definitely feel I'm not broken. But I was thinking this the other day when I was walking the dogs, that there's so few things that give me joy that I that I just don't I know I don't feel the way other people feel. Um and I, I did. I said, well, God, maybe, maybe I've just been through too much. Maybe, maybe I'm broken. Maybe I am. Doesn't mean I don't have value. It doesn't mean my life doesn't have value. It doesn't mean I'm not lovable. Um, I, I just think that we go through things and it's very hard. It's very hard to stay intact in this life. Um, and I don't think any of us are really broken. I think some of us are fractured, but fractures can heal. And even if they don't, we can still get through life, you know, and it, we can still, we can still find someone who loves us because of that fracture, you know, going back to the, the goodwill hunting, you know, it's not about whether or not they're perfect. It's about whether or not they're perfect for you. And there's always going to be somebody out there that is, that is perfect for you in that regard. And that will love you for the sum of your parts, you know? Um, like, I don't know if anybody ever truly, truly heals from a loss or a heartbreak or stress or stress. I, I just, I don't, I don't know if that's what we do as human beings. You know, do we just continue to navigate life and, and learn and get, I just think we get stronger doesn't necessarily mean like I can I, I got hit by a car when I was in college and the bottom the band on the bottom of my foot was very badly damaged I can still get around fine I can still work out I have I get bouts of plantar fasciitis and I have to you know it, it hurts but I can still get on with my life and achieve great things and do great things but the damage to that band is still there it doesn't mean that I can't do things that I want to do. It doesn't impair me in any way. So I think, like I say about grief, when it comes to law, like anything, when it comes to anything that has, that has taken a toll on us emotionally, we just learned how to navigate life with that, with that, with that fraction. But in any case, going back, people need to ask themselves why they're dating. Are they dating because they want to find a partner in this life? 
that they want to go through this with, that they want to go through temporarily, six months, eight months, 50 years, whatever? Or are they doing it because they think they're supposed to because if if they don't, then people will wonder why and people will wonder if they're broken and people will wonder, oh, is there something wrong with them? You know, he said it. Like, I I have a dog. I have a dog that likes me a lot and I have my creative pursuits. He sounds like he likes his life. And that, that can be enough. You don't have to meet other people's expectations. And this pressure that we put on ourselves to do that, it's no wonder. We're just, we're putting, we're just putting ourselves through the ringer. You know, maybe things aren't working out in dating-wise. Excuse me, I'm hiccuping. Maybe things aren't working out because you don't actually want them to work out. Because you like your life. You're just told not to especially women. You're just told, what, what do you mean you like your life? You don't have, you don't have anybody in it. You're, you're not dating anybody, a man, a woman, whoever. Because we're told as women that we're supposed to, we're supposed to want connection more than men. No, <laughs> that's, that's not true either. Uh, that's, we're all wired the same. Um, but I think women feel this pressure to find a mate because we need that male validation to show people, see, 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 we're not broken. We're not damaged. We are lovable. We are attractive. Somebody wants us. All that matters, all that fucking matters in this life is that you want you. That's it. If you can find a couple people, friends, a dog, whatever, who 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 want you as well, who take you as is. My mother always said it. You don't need a bunch of friends. You need one, one good one. And that's it. And, and it's true. And you might not even need that. But this idea that we, it, the more people we have in our life that want to be in our life, um, then that means the more value that we have, the more lovable. That's not true. Your life is valuable as is, no matter what you're doing, whether you have a partner in it or not. If, you're, if you feel content, if you feel like you're contributing to society, if you feel like you're fulfilling a goal, then you're winning as far as I'm concerned. Because it's really hard to do that. People don't recognize how just how hard it is to get through this life. And if you're getting up every day and you're doing, you're finding little things to look forward to and to appreciate, I, I don't know, man, I think you're winning. So date because, you know, know why you're dating. Maybe it is because you just want something to, uh, hey, I have some free time. That'll be fun to go out. That's fine too. That's perfectly fine. As long as you're aware of why you're doing what you're doing, that's all that matters. As long as you're not like messing with somebody's somebody's emotions, that's all that matters. As long as you're not hurting anybody else, do whatever you want to do. Right? But don't feel pressure to date because not dating, because you think not dating means you're broken. You're not lovable. Or there's something wrong with you. None of that is true. That's just a message that society has pushed on us, especially women. But I'm including men here too. And, and it's not. Maybe you're dating just because you think you're supposed to, and maybe you don't want to. Maybe that's why nothing's working out. Maybe that's why you haven't found that person. Maybe that person is you. You know, I've always said it, and I will end with this. Sometimes the love of your life is the love of your life. So I will... I'll leave you guys with that one. Follow me on Instagram at the Kristen M T H E C H R I S T A N M. Follow the pod on Instagram at Datology Pod 
follow me on TikTok at Datology Coach and at My Character Analysis. And follow me on Instagram at My Character Analysis. That's my uh, pop culture true crime substack, characteranalysis.substack.com. Send in your questions. Keep sending them in. Hello at datologycoach.com. Book your dating profile review. You know, you've got the last month of summer. Things are going to be slow. But with the holidays in December, things are going to be picking up. So book a book a session for September. And um, so for the, the week, we're taking we're taking off the next few weeks for the weekly Zoom meetings because things are really slow and because my dog situation picks up uh, again in mid-August. We are resuming in September. And somebody brought up a really good idea on the Mighty Network of doing um, online like th- that, what I like about the Mighty Network is that um, it's kind of like Zoom too, where you can do video chat. And so maybe trying to incorporate some virtual, like some other um, like virtual chats, virtual hangouts, but the weekly check-in for Zoom for at least the next two weeks, we're not going to be doing them um, because I really want like, a, I want at least at least three to five people there in addition to me because people are showing up for group support, not just me. Uh, okay. If you're not part of the Mighty Network, uh, let's see. If you're not part of the Mighty Network, shoot me an email and um, I will get you in there. Uh, if you've already, if you paid for your membership uh, before May 1st, and you're not part of the Mighty Network, shoot me an email and I'll get you in there for free. After May 1st, we separated everything out and the Mighty Network was no longer included in the in the uh, monthly fee. I'm rambling. Thanks for listening. You are lovable. You are worth it. You don't need a partner if you don't want one. Oh, that's it. Okay, kiddos. Bye, bog witches.